Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today we're going to learn what it takes to be a food writer. I'm joined by Diane Jacob who is a full-time writing coach as well as an author and a teacher who specializes in food writing. She was previously a journalist. Diane coaches would-be writers on writing and publishing food books and also writing freelance articles and food blogging. Many of her students have signed publishing deals with major publishers. Diane has edited cookbooks and collaborated on two cookbooks. She's the author of Will Write for Food, Pursue Your Passion and Bring Home the Dough Writing Recipes, Cookbooks, Blogs and More a book that is essential for anyone wishing to write professionally about food. Welcome, Diane. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, My first question, why did you decide to become a food writing coach rather than a food writer? Well, um, I was an editor right out of journalism school and um, I'd always work with writers and I became self-employed in the 90s and I had to figure out uh, what to do. And typically when you're self-employed, you become an individual contributor um, because, you know, you don't have a staff. There's nobody to manage. um, So you have to produce your own work. So I did work as a food writer for many years. I wrote restaurant reviews, columns. Um, how-to stories like, you know, how to serve cheese at parties and how to choose wines and um, all that standard stuff. Um, I wrote some recipes. I did some profiles. Uh, but then what I found was that I missed um, I missed working with writers. I really enjoyed that over the years as a magazine editor and a book editor. And um, so I kind of created my own job. Um, coaching people who want to become published and sometimes coaching people who were already published but wanted to be published in better magazines or maybe they had were working with a small press before and they wanted to get a bigger book deal. Um, so, so that turned out to be the thing that I loved the most. And uh, I also um, I started teaching food writing because um, having been a journalist, you know, really prepares you for um, all different kinds of work, um, research, writing, you know, what's a good headline, what's a good introduction. Um, and then I, um, I became a published, a book published author. I, I'd really only written for print and actually for CD-ROMs at one point. Um, but in my 50s, I became a published author for the first time. And then I could use that experience to coach authors also. Right. So the people you're helping, just from your experience, how many people out there want to become a food writer? Oh, my gosh, it's endless. I mean, you know, most people who are obsessed with cooking at some point think about, oh, well, you know, maybe I should write a cookbook. It's it's not the best place to start. We'll talk about that later. But um, there are, I don't know, 
thousands of people. I think just writing the book, I read somewhere that 82% of, of people think that there's a book inside them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, you know, there's all those people. Then there's all the food obsessed people. There's there's people who want to write about food history. I was just working with someone who's writing about anchovies. Um, there's people who want to write their own stories. I was working with someone else who wants to write a memoir with recipes. Um, there are chefs who want to write books. There are caterers and there are cooking teachers. Uh, there's all kinds of people who want to write about food. Yes. I, I mean, I can, I know it's vibrant. I mean, the, the cookbooks alone never stop coming. There's absolutely. Yeah. There's always another the one. Pandemic, they did really, really well because we had no choice but to cook. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. So when you are working one-to-one with a would-be writer or someone who maybe has a, a draft manuscript what's the what's the biggest mistake the most common mistake that you you come across well i'd say well first let's talk about the writing there's a lot a lot of passive voice in in writing um especially in food writing when you say you know this dish can be eaten with a salad. Well, okay. Um, that's passive voice. And yeah. that's one of the most common mistakes. Just that um, cooking is all about action. And uh, so it, it really behooves you to learn how to write an active voice. And um, that's one thing I see all the time. Um, and then when it comes to, oh, also the word delicious is on my list of words that drive me crazy when I see them too often. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's easy to call something delicious, but it really doesn't tell the reader anything other than, you know, you like it. Um, yeah. If you said it was silky or, um, you know, tingled the back of your throat. I mean, that would give readers some more information um, other than, hey, I liked it. Um, but then when it comes to um, writing a book, um, a lot of people think they should start with writing a book. And that's really the hardest place to start because um, you don't have any credentials as a writer. Um, and people really don't think about that. They just think, well, okay, I'm ready to write a book now. I just went over this with someone. Have you ever been published on the subject of this book? No, never. <laughs> and so, you know, publishers, when publishers think about should someone write this book, they would really like someone who's a published author. Yeah. That's who write books. And so I really, I know that people really don't like hearing this, but I have to advise them to back up and try to get some articles published on the subject of their book. And yeah. then they will have more credibility. And, you know, it shouldn't be a big deal because you're totally obsessed and passionate about um, making vegan Syrian food and, um, you know, 
you're going to see if any editors would be interested in that topic. And that also gives what I call um, pre-approval to the author, because once they get published on the subject of their book, then it, it tells uh, the publisher that um, an editor thinks that this subject is worthwhile for their readers. So it's kind of a pre-approval. And it also helps them establish an audience for their book, um, which publishers are also extremely interested in. So those first baby steps, although I know they're not actually baby steps, e well, even pitching no. a freelance article is not so easy. It's, uh, it's not it's not so easy. I mean, you you have to understand which publication wants um, this story. Uh, why do they want it? Why are you the person to write it? And how can you approach them with a pitch that gets them really excited, gets the editor excited about the story? So you have to understand the audience of the the magazine or the whatever the title is, what they're who they're writing for. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of this is just, you know, basic journalism that um, applies no matter what you're writing about. Yeah. But you 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 were a career journalist. Yes. And I was. somebody might just have a passion for food and they've worked in government or technology or accountancy or something. And it's uh, newspapers and magazines. It's a whole new world, really. It is a whole whole new world, and, and it's not just newspapers and magazines anymore, which is how I came up. Um, it's, you know, I talked with a woman who put all her recipes on Instagram and got a book deal, a six-figure book deal, based on um, her beautiful photos of the dishes that she made and including the recipes in her Instagram posts. And so she'd never written anything else, but she had developed a big audience based on that and a very devoted following. And so, um, you know, she's about to turn in her manuscript. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so I was sort of thinking there are two types of writing. Maybe there are uh, memoirs or food writing where there's some sort of narrative. And then there are cookbooks, which uh, um, obviously deliver recipes on a particular theme. Now, I was wondering about cookbooks. Wouldn't they be formulaic? Is there or am I just simplifying it too much? It's going to come it, down to the yeah. quality of the recipes you can offer. Um, it is formulaic to some extent. Um, for example, typically you're going to propose a book that has uh, around 100 recipes. Um, that's the standard and um, you're going to have an introduction a lot of times you might have a glossary if you are you know using ingredients that not everybody understands i'm working with a puerto rican um chef right now who and puerto ricans use a lot of root vegetables and and people don't necessarily know how yucca is different from cassava and all that sort of thing so you know, you might decide that you need a glossary. Um, there might be a technique section. That's, but these days that's kind of rare. Um, and then the way that the book is organized, um, it, it traditionally there was a soup to nuts format, 
And that was based on having servants who made the food. So you could have all these different courses. Um, And now, um, no, none of us have servants. And um, there are all all different ways to organize a cookbook, um, which is wonderful. And then when it comes to the recipes, recipes are quite formulaic. It's it's actually a form of technical writing. Um, And you have to you have to really understand how it works. So recipes have parts. First of all, they have a title and you don't want to call a recipe, you know, Sue's surprise because nobody knows what that is. Um, You need to figure out what a good title is for a recipe. Um, and then there's the head note, which the point of the head note really is to, is to get the reader excited about making this dish. So you might be telling a story, there might be some historical information, um, you might talk about which parts you can make in advance, or, um, you know, how you, why your grandmother, how your grandmother made it and it's your favorite dish. Um, and then um, after that is the yield. You, you need to tell people how much it makes. Um, and then um, the ingredients list. And what's interesting to me about the ingredients list is that sometimes a recipe looks really short, but there's a little way to make it appear short because you've packed all the work into the ingredients list. Like if you say, you know, two cups chopped onions, um, that's work that you have to do before you start making the dish. And if you have like 10 things like that, the list doesn't look so long, but it all requires some work. And then there's the method, which tells you how to make it. Um, And a lot of times where recipes go wrong is that uh, they the writer doesn't put the ingredients in the order that they're used in the method. And that's a really technical thing, but so many writers screw that up. Indeed. So like many things, it's much more complicated than it initially looks. (laughs) It is. And you can have, you can get into all these arguments like about language. Um, Like I got into a big argument with people in my newsletter about the term in a bowl combine. Right. Uh, Because that's not conversational. No one talks like that. No one says in a bowl combined. Um, But it's a standard part of recipe writing. And I don't like it because I like recipe writing to be conversational. I want... uh, the person who's making the dish to feel like you're their neighbor or their friend or their cooking teacher and you're going to help them you're standing over their shoulder and you're helping them make this dish turn out and so I, I like conversational writing but then um there's a lot of I got a lot of pushback about in a bowl combined from people who feel like if they don't tell someone to get out a bowl then they can't first then they will be less successful in making the dish yeah yeah when (laughs) i first came to north america i I became confused that recipes were in uh, or amounts were in cups oh yeah okay that that isn't done so i had to actually buy the little plastic cup things to find out what the sizes were exactly some of the terminology is different so um 
Some of the uh, terminology is different. Zucchini is yeah, something else courgette. in the UK. Courgette, right. yeah. 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 And also castor sugar is a big is a big ingredient in British recipes and desserts, but here nobody even knows what castor sugar is. Yes, yeah, um, exactly. But the whole metric thing, you know, we're so we're really backwards in the United States with this metric thing because there's like three countries left in the world that you that don't use metric measurements and they're little tiny countries you've never heard of and us <laughs> so so a lot of actually a lot of people put metric measurements in their recipes now especially if you would like to sell your book in another country um and and especially bakers um find that their recipes are more accurate when they're in metric and so they are encouraging people to buy a scale and weigh things, which yeah. seems antithetical to a lot of American bakers, but it's becoming a little more common. Yeah. So one point that I I noticed that you made in your book is that food writing is slowly becoming less white. And when I read that, I, I thought that sounds <laughs> like other areas of the publishing industry, you know, from science fiction to romance it's slowly changing perhaps you can elaborate a little bit about that well yeah when i came when i you know when i was even in journalism school every job i had as a magazine editor a newspaper reporter newspaper editor book editor um was really majority white and you know being a white person i didn't really think about it um but um the the publishing has finally had a reckoning where they have finally understood that you can't just have white people talking to other white people about books written by white people. Um, yeah. And it has to expand. Um, and I think we're down to like 86% white <laughs> publishing, which still the huge majority, but, um, uh, but they have, there has been a reckoning that it's an echo chamber and it's very limiting. Um, also a reckoning that they don't necessarily know how to market to other kinds of readers because we're only thinking about ourselves. And so um, it, it is changing. Um, it's not changing enough. But I have to say, even with my own clients, I have such a diverse list now of, uh, you know, I, Muslims, um, Middle Easterners, Central Americans, uh, African Americans, um, Asians, um, so much different than before that the door is much more open now. Um, and that's such a good thing. Yes, I totally agree. Uh, let's open that door a bit more. Yes. Okay. Um, so who is your favorite food writer? Oh, God, I really, it's so hard to answer this question. <laughs> I always name the dead ones from long ago, just to be safe. Um, I just uh, recently read an article about Peg Bracken, who wrote, the I Hate to Cook cookbook a long time ago. And it's really 
hilarious. Um, apparently, she used to get together with a group of women, and they called themselves the Hags or something. And she decided to make a cookbook based on how they cooked because no one liked to cook. And it is really one of the funniest things you've ever read. And I, I'm not saying that the recipes are incredible, but it's really not about that. It's so entertaining. Um, and then there's another writer whose name is Lori Colwyn, who wrote a book called Home Cooking. And she's just delightful. Um, my actually one of my favorite writers nora efron did some food writing she wrote heartburn about yeah. her own experience um with a husband who cheated on her um but currently i'm really knocked out by michael twitty he's um, a progressive thinker about food and identity and that's a subject i spend a lot of time on and um you mean cultural identity Cultural identity and food is right. my favorite all-time subject. I never get tired of thinking about it. I love reading about it. And it's something he addressed in his first memoir, The Cooking Gene, which was about his own experience of trying to um, figure out his identity as being descended from slaves and also being a gay man and also being a black man who converted to Judaism. So it's quite a complicated story. And then his second memoir came out recently called Kosher Soul about um, relationships between blacks and Jews and what it's like to be a black Jew and how they're kind of invisible in a culture that's, uh, I guess the word is Ashkenormative, uh, which is, you know, almost all the Jews in North America came from Eastern Europe, Europe and Eastern Europe. And yeah. so, um, you know, I didn't, I had, hadn't met any black Jews. I'm Jewish and I'd never met any black Jews until maybe 20 years ago. Um, when I went to the wedding of some black lesbian friends and her father was a black rabbi and I was like huh wow had no idea of, of one of the brides um so anyway it's just fascinating to blow your mind with stuff that you had no idea about that you should know and and he's I like his thinking very much and to learn what a particular dish means to a particular culture that Absolutely. you would have no yeah. idea till you sit down and eat with them and they might explain it. Yes. And there are actually are a lot of recipes in the back of um, Kosher Soul that he gathered from um, black Jews and for who are, are from all over the world. And it's it's really fascinating. Yes. Right. Um, so I'm thinking of memoirs. I really enjoy reading memoirs. Yes. And the one I always think of is uh, Kitchen Confidential, because I think it really shook things up. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think was the impact of that that book? Well, let me ask you, well, how did how do you think it shook things up? I'm curious to know your opinion. It was the first food memoir I'd ever um, read, and mm -hmm. I read it in the UK. Mm -hmm. And he's primarily talking about the professional kitchens of New York. 
and he's not really talking much about the food although he does right he's 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 got some very firm opinions about the food but he's talking about the genius of these i'm not sure the right word but the line chefs from Mm -hmm. all these ethnic backgrounds who know so much about what they're doing and he's sort of the head chef but he's saying these people on the on the like in these unglamorous positions in the corner of these amazing kitchens are like the powerhouse of all of the New York restaurant scene. And I love yes. that. Yes. Yeah. Um, he did, he, he did an incredible job with that, with that uh, memoir. And um, well, just to give you some context, he was a big fan of down and out in London by George Orwell. I don't know if you've read that. Uh, I haven't, no. Uh, what is about George Orwell being, you know, penniless and working in kitchens in London yeah. in maybe, I can't remember when it was, maybe the 1920s. Yeah. Um, and and he was quite taken by that memoir. And so he basically wrote something similar about what it was like to work in the kitchens of New York. Um, and it, it was really the first, um, memoir that glorified chefs and kitchen culture, and and that changed um, that changed a lot of things. It made it inadvertently made chefs into celebrities, which wasn't a thing before. Um, they were you you didn't see chefs before uh, when you went to a restaurant, um, but now they're. But suddenly they are, were being celebrated by the media and um, becoming celebrities. Um, and and also he was he was a, he he was unabashedly male and straight, which um, isn't usually who you see in the food writing world. It's it's almost all women until you get to the top, and then it's men, of course. And there's a lot of gay men. Um, and so it was, you know, there was a lot of testosterone in that book also. Yes. Yeah. Which wasn't the normal thing. Yeah. I mean, MFK Fisher, you wouldn't really associate her with testosterone. She was probably the best known, um, food writer until then. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of travel writing as well. And often travel writing combines with food. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you're traveling, you have to eat, right? And they usually end up writing about it since it's a different experience. But anyway, yeah, other ones I've loved. Um, I loved Heat by Bill Buford as well. Oh, yeah. Because that was quite an education. Quite painful at times because he kept cutting himself as he learned to be a <laughs> chef. Right. Yeah. There's another one called Blood, Bones and Butter. By oh, yeah. Called Gabrielle, Gabrielle Hamilton. Uh, yeah. Wonderful writing. Pretty interesting book. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. there was a lot of testosterone in that book too. I mean, she was really tough in that book. That's my one um, of all these books. That is my one conclusion. I'm never working in a professional kitchen because that <laughs> is hard. Really hard. Yeah. Yeah. The hours and the pressure. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay, Diane, final question. Um, mm. What book? or books are you currently reading? Um, Well, I get a lot of books sent to me. Um, So right now I'm reading, um, let me see. 
My America Recipes from a Young Black Chef, which the publisher sent to me. Um, and I just finished reading a memoir. Now I'm blanking out on the name of it. Um, Sift, maybe? Uh, an older one, kind of more of an autobiography than a memoir, but well-written. Um, I do a lot. I do a lot of reading because I feel like I need to keep up um, with how cookbooks are changing, how memoirs changing. There hasn't been that much new uh, food memoir lately. Yeah. Um, maybe people are getting kind of burned out, but there's always going to be somebody who has a story you haven't heard before. Yeah. And that's what I love. Do you ever step away from food or, or cookbooks to read something completely different? To oh, all the time. Um, yeah. My husband used to be a video game designer. And right now, this never happens because he almost always reads sci-fi. He's totally obsessed with sci-fi. Um, but I, for the first time in our, wait, 35 years together, I found a book that we can both read. It's called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, and it's about video game designers. Uh, and so <laughs> we're both reading it. I'm so excited about this moment because we we don't usually do that. I mean, he reads a lot of sci-fi murder mysteries. I just don't read the same kind of thing. Right. Okay. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> Thank you to food writing coach Diane Jacob for joining us today. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed myself. Diane is the author of Will Write for Food, Pursue Your Passion and Bring Home the Dough, writing recipes, cookbooks, blogs and more. And you can learn more about Diane's coaching services at her website, which is dianej.com. And I'll spell that D-I-A-N-N-E-J dianej.com and that's also where you can subscribe to diane's newsletter for tips trends and much more thank you for listening my name is richard davis and you've been listening to an abe books podcast and we'll see you all again soon